All right, today we're gonna to talk about some of the more interesting pieces of research and some of the original content that we've put out on the Guru Investor blog for the week of uh, January 8th. And the first thing that we wanted to just discuss was the original article you wrote, Jack, on your case against value stocks part two. There was actually a part one a few years ago. Um, and since value has kind of continued to sort of uh, have relative underperformance, at least versus growth, um, maybe up until recently, you know, you sort of looked at some of the other reasons why there may be a case against value. So do you want to kind of work through some of those? Yeah, this is well, this is something I try to do, uh, you know, fairly frequently, which is when, when I feel really strongly about something, I, t I tend to try to want to look at the other side and make sure, you know, that I'm not missing something because we all tend to follow people who agree with us. We all try and you know, seek out information that agrees with us. And so you can miss something a lot of the time in terms of believing strongly in something. And so I did this a couple of years ago and, you know, I was, I'm kind of getting overly optimistic about value again. You know, it's had a really good run here. You know, I feel like with fiscal stimulus coming, value may do well. There's a lot of factors, I think, working in favor of value right now. And I was starting to get really excited about it again. So I figured it was a good time to maybe update that. And to maybe, I've learned a lot since I wrote that article two years ago. So I wanted to list some of the reasons again, that I think, maybe value has some issues long-term, you know, that's going to have to overcome, even though I'm very optimistic about it now. So what were at a, at a sort of high level, what are some of the key, what were some of the key points you made? Yeah. You know, so there's, there's a few things going on, you know, one is obviously, uh, and this comes from our podcast with Kai Wu when we talked to him as more innovative companies are doing better and better in the stock market, that can be a bad thing for value because value tends to be short innovation. So that, that's one example of them or, the fact that the Federal Reserve has suppressed interest rates for a long time, you know, typically you would expect value to do better maybe during a higher rate period relative to growth than a lower rate period. And if rates stay suppressed for a long time, that might be a bad you know, thing for value. So those are some of the examples. I have, I have a few more in the article. But the overall goal was to try to say, make the best case I possibly can make against value, you know, even though I don't believe it, to try to challenge myself. And by writing it down, it, it helps me to try to make the case versus just thinking it through in my head. I'm hoping that article is actually the uh, turning point for value. You might have timed it perfectly. Yeah, yeah. I'll be, that's, that's one I'll be happy to be wrong about. <laughs> All right. Um, the podcast that we put out on Monday was about expectations in investing. And I think there we were, you know, just trying to talk about the role that expectations play in investing in the market, that sometimes good companies don't always equal good investment. And sometimes bad companies do equal a good investment, but it all depends on the role of expectations and, you know, how much expectations are built into stock prices and valuation. Right. You know, there's this mix between valuation and expectations and you inside of the valuation of a stock is a series of expectations. And so right now, Tesla has extremely high expectations, you know, are not recently argued or Rob are not from research affiliates recent recently argued that the expectations are so high for Tesla that it can't possibly meet them. So obviously, it's just something you need to know when you buy a stock. You need to know, are, are the expectations very high? Are the expectations very low? And what do I believe personally? And how does that differ from the expectations? Because the way you profit in the market is when you have different expectations than the market and you're right and the market ends up being wrong. And so we, we talked about that a lot on the podcast. Right now, expectations seem to be very high, especially in some areas of the market. But because um, the market's really strong, a lot of stocks are up significantly. And we'll see if uh, those expectations actually come to fruition, at least so far they have. Um, it's been a pretty pretty strong market here. 
especially the last couple of days. All right, uh, let's actually uh, pivot to some of the um, articles that we we enjoyed. Um, the one that you and it kind of I think it plays nicely, it dovetails nicely into this expectations one. It's the article from Institutional Investor. Here's one to invest in value, and it basically was talking about the value premium, um, uh, how it. Doesn't exist a lot of the time, but the times that it exists and where you tend to get a lot of the value premium. So I think this is one that you wanted to maybe start and I'll try to piggyback off you if I have anything to add. This is something we've always known about value, but the, the way they looked at it was really unique. So we've always known about value that a lot of the value premium comes in very short periods. And so being a value investor, which is one of the reasons, you know, most people shouldn't do it, involves long extended periods of pain where you sit there underperforming followed by massive bursts of outperformance where you get a lot of that premium. And so we've always known that, but they looked at it a little bit differently in terms of when that, that those shorter periods of outperformance come. And what they found is they, they come after periods of extreme pessimism or extreme optimism. And so, you know, when, when the market gets really, really high and, and things get out of control, you know, on the backside of that value tends to outperform. Or, you know, when we have a recession or, or when things get really bad, on the backside of that value tends to outperform. And, and what's unique about that or interesting about that to me right now is we've had both of those in a very short period of time. So in March, we had a period of extreme pessimism. And then now we're right in the middle of a period of extreme optimism. So if value does well in both of those scenarios, then you would have expected it to do well in the wake of March, you know, in the, in the wake of the period of extreme pessimism, which it has. And then in the, you would also expect it to do well following the extreme optimism. So, you know, that could actually be a good thing for value if it does do well in those types of periods, because we've had two of them in, in you know, less than a year period right now. Yeah. And by the way, the research paper, which is called Extrapolators at the Gate, market-wide misvaluation and the value premium. This is on SSRN. We'll probably put a link to this in the show notes, but they did find that the value premium was higher. Um, so the monthly value premium was 3.5% after periods of extreme pessimism um, versus 1.5% a month after periods of extreme optimism. So it kind of makes sense because this is something we've talked about. You know, when you come into, like if you just think of last February and March, it's the value stocks that got obliterated and got crushed. I mean, some of these energy companies were down, you know, 80% plus, um, or this, you know, some of these cheap stocks like retailers got obliterated. So it's, and, but coming out, they, you know, really uh, reverted higher. So I think in, um, you know, after periods of recessions or, or, or deep downturns, you know, you tend to get expectations are low and you tend to get sort of more of a value premium coming out of that. Yeah, and like I said before, you know, this is this is why value investing is so hard is because these are, you know, you your, a lot of your outperformance comes in these short periods and also a lot of your outperformance comes in these periods where sometimes people don't want to own stocks. You know, you in, in March yeah. you didn't want to own stocks and you know, to get the value premium you had to own stocks in March. So that that is one of the challenges I think of the whole thing. Yeah, you um, have to sit around and wait a while, I yeah, guess. Yeah, exactly. What was the article you found most interesting this week? So yeah, it was an article from Barron's. Um it was actually from early December. It was um very relevant to sort of the environment and what people are dealing with. But the title of the article is Common Mistakes That Could Derail Your Retirement and How to Avoid Them. And so basically what this article was just walking through is like the mistakes, some of the common mistakes that investors make. So the first one is like the cost of indecision. There was a chart in here that showed, I thought this was interesting. It said, you know, if you were um, to have from since 1926, if you would have timed the mar market perfectly, invested immediately or had the very worst timing, meaning if you would have bought the market 
going back to 1926, at every major peak, would you, it, it basically shows that like, even still by having the worst timing in the world, you still would have beat a portfolio that invested and just stayed in cash. So it just shows that over time, the cost of indecision, the cost of not being into the, in the market over 20 year rolling periods um, is high. And so it certainly beats cash. You got to be able to deal with the volatility and the risks that come with stocks. But that was one mistake that they said, you know, the, the cost of indecision, you want to try to avoid that. The other one was trying to game the market. And here they were kind of talking about individual stock picking. They weren't saying investors shouldn't do it, but they were kind of saying, you know, if you do it, be careful. You don't do it with your retirement assets or too much of your portfolio. And if you are going to pick stocks, you know, you want to write down, you want to have a process. You want to make sure that you're uh, capturing, you know, why you're buying these stocks and there's sort of some fundamental reason behind it. It's not you're just like, you know, day trading or, or something like that. So that was another sort of mistake. They were sort of saying hoarding too much cash, which again is they were sort of using the the COVID example that, you know, a lot of investors raise cash, you know, and you can't blame them, I guess. But that ended up being, you know, hurting a lot of people's returns if you had too much cash on the sideline. And the last thing is, you know, reshuffling your portfolio too too much. And, and really what they were what the, the article was kind of trying to use these mistakes or these pitfalls that can hurt your performance and really just trying to say, you don't want to get emotionally tied up in these. You really want to have, I think, discipline and you want to have a process that you have when you do do these things because um, sort of the process is, is the outcome will be largely determined by sort of, I guess, the, the process. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, you know, my, my takeaway from this was, you know, action is typically bad in investing. And, you know, in, in a lot of areas of life, we want to take action all the time. And, you know, if you look at some of the things you listed, trying to game the market, hoarding, hoarding cash, reshuffling your portfolio, these are all actions individual investors take at times where they should be doing nothing. You know, the, the takeaway from the article for me was do absolutely nothing, stick to your investment plan, and you'll avoid most of the mistakes individual investors make. So I, I think it's interesting because people want to take action, but in a lot of ways, the best thing you can do is just to do nothing. Yep. So that's, uh, those are the highlights from this week. Um, we hope to produce this on a weekly basis and we hope you found it valuable. Thanks for watching. Thank you. If you'd like to keep up on the research, writing, and curation we're doing at Validia, please go to blog.validia.com to learn more and stay updated. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at practicalquant and follow me on Twitter at, at JJ Carboneau. Thanks so much. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital.